Hello, I'm Greg. Let's have an inappropriate conversation about your points and questions, part six. This one's been a long time in the making. I will get to what feels like more than two years of questions and comments and feedback that I've received because I was meaning to record Your Points and Questions Part 6 probably at least a year ago. Something in and around the time of the presidential elections and the death of my mother kind of threw me off course. I needed to take a different approach and speak literally through song in a couple of different ways. And that really occupied me for a lot of last year. But I'm back at the beginning of this year and really coming right up against the risk that February might have been the first month in the history of Inappropriate Conversations where I didn't have a release or at least a blog entry. But I'm hopeful that at the time of recording, I will be able to address that and get this comment and feedback show out in very late February. But first, feels like a good time to restate the mission of Inappropriate Conversations as a podcast. And Part of that is that we're approaching the eighth year anniversary of the start of the show. March 7th, 2010 was when the introduction, the first episode of Inappropriate Conversations, was released. And as I mentioned a moment ago, there's been some steady release, either in podcast or in blog form, ever since. Whether the podcast be Walk the Earth or Inappropriate Conversations. But the original mission statement of this podcast was that too often political and or religious ideologies stop open dialogue. It's time to speak freely and break down the barriers that keep people separated. Let's have an inappropriate conversation about. Well, why do I do this? Let's start there. Let's have an inappropriate conversation about why I do this show and why my commitment to openly discussing the not-for-dinner topics like politics, religion, sex, drugs, and rock and roll is so important. I saw a comment from Sean King, I believe he's a Black Lives Matter activist, the other day that said this, Over a dozen different families of victims from the school shooting in Florida have now reported that they have received regular death threats since the shooting. This is how ugly this country is. They lost loved ones and now are receiving death threats. This is referring to the Parkland, Florida shooting on Valentine's Day 2018. And although I haven't recorded in quite some time, taking more than a month off at this stage, I have shared previous inappropriate conversations because although I don't think I feel like I've said everything that needs to be said or everything I intend to say, it's not unusual for me to have something that happens in current events or even in my life where there's a callback from things I've referenced on a previous show. And this is one. I shared this online, and what I got, both from people who are friendly to my points of view and unfriendly to my points of view, was doubt. Well, was this real? Was this some sort of fake news? Can I document it? And so I did. I went out and found one of the many examples that it's not that hard to find if you look for it, of somebody, um, typically a guns rights activist, uh, threatening violence against the uh, students in particular, the surviving students, who have overcome the trauma of being in the school at the time of all of those murders and spoken out against the uh, the lackadaisical nature of the way we well-regulate our militias <laughs> that has led to this situation. And so I thought, well, if they're willing to speak up, perhaps I'm sure I should be willing to speak up as well. One way I've spoken is by sharing that post with that quote from Sean King in it, and another way is going out and getting kind of documentation. But I also can speak my mind on issues like this in some ways just by sharing past inappropriate conversations. And the one I would refer to as Seeing Spot Run, I believe it came out a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, in the month of October, very early in October. But here's the thing, and here's why inappropriate conversations, and why walk, walk the Earth and inappropriate conversations do belong together, in my opinion, on the same feed. I don't view myself as somebody who's leading any sort of compartmentalized life. My Christian walk, documented in Walk the Earth, is very consistent with my view about questions related to politics, religion, 
and in this case, gun violence. The thing I want to share is that the random example I went out to find is from somebody, again, threatening to, you know, use a bullet to silence people speaking words he disagrees with about mass shootings, mass school shootings in this case, has a Facebook profile. The threatening tweet by this man was taken down and his account suspended, but his Facebook page refers to himself as a man, a shepherd like the Son of God, a child of God, a citizen of heaven, just like you. So this is somebody who, while threatening deadly violence against people who have already been, have stared down, at least metaphorically, if not in some cases literally, the barrel of a gun, uh, is doing so as somebody who is self-proclaimed as a man of God, a son of God, a citizen of heaven. So when I talk about how important it is that we speak up and criticize uh, the misbehavior of Christians, particularly Christians in the religious right, although I wouldn't limit it just to the religious right, that these words of correction are often necessary and inappropriate conversations is my way of doing it. I felt like it was important to begin with a restatement of the mission of inappropriate conversations and sort of acknowledging the history of the show, because I will honestly say that I'm concerned about the podcast in the year 2018. Now, I'm not calling it quits, but I will say very it was very uh, tempting to look at the next question in Walk the Earth, noting that it's Walk the Earth number 50, and looking at question ideas after that and saying, you know what, 50 would be an interesting way to stop. It would be a nice bookend for a show that actually went probably 20 or 30 episodes longer than the original forecast. But I'm not willing to say that Walk the Earth will come to a conclusion with the nice, superstitiously tidy number of 50 having been accomplished. And I'm also not willing to say that inappropriate conversations will wrap up here in the early 200s either. There's just a few things that are worth noting if there's an interruption. If I do, in 2018, finally hit one of those months where it's impossible to deliver throughput and get that month-year entry in the right navigation category index at inappropriateconversations.org. The reason that it could happen is simply, and I've talked about this before in this uh, beginning of years, related to the way my work schedule can sometimes throw things off. I'm thinking this might be a particularly tumultuous year for me professionally. This being a hobby, this is the place where there may be some sacrifices. I've also been blessed that I've got uh, one of my children getting married this year, and so that'll be a focus of attention as well in the early part of the year. So there are things in my personal life, both positive and potentially a struggle for me, that could get in the way. And, you know, that's just the reality of it. The other thing, though, is that, uh, as I've noted, the next episode of Inappropriate Conversations may very well be looking back across those eight years and calling out at least what, for me, are some high watermarks, because... I, I feel like there's more that I can say, more than I should say. The world is an unpredictable place, so who knows where the next inappropriate conversations topic may come from. But it's interesting that like with Walk the Earth, where I've gotten to a point where maybe the next questions could be optional, depending on how I think them through. Here on Inappropriate Conversations, I've long exhausted the original 100-plus ideas I had for topics, and I've probably now hit the point where I've gone through a lot of the secondary and tertiary ideas that have come up along the way. Um, I don't know exactly what the topics are going to be after looking backward here in the first part of this calendar year. In the next episode, it'll be a look back at the podcast itself and its history. But for now, I want to look back at points and questions and feedback that I've received. And maybe the oldest piece of feedback that I'm going to refer to that may or may not be true, actually. But one of the older pieces of feedback I want to refer to came to me from a listener named Nancy. My mom's also named Nancy, but this isn't the same Nancy. Here is her message to me uh, from February 2017. Told you I've been sitting on this for a long time. I've listened to Inappropriate Conversations slash Walk the Earth since back in the days of the Simply Syndicated Forums. I have a decal that I would like to send you if you're interested in it. I find it something that fits with your beliefs. Here's a picture of it on my car. If you would like one, send me your mailing info, and I'll send it to you. Thanks for all the work you put into your podcasts. I really appreciate it. Walk the Earth especially resonates with me, as I have had similar experiences. I will be using the picture of the sticker that she sent me as the show art 
for this particular podcast. So depending on how you get podcasts, it may be true that in your iTunes directory or elsewhere, you'll see the We Are All God's Children sticker that way. I wrote her back, obviously because I have a sticker, (laughs) and shared that you know some of the things that were a struggle for me last year, some related to my reaction to political things that happened late in 2016, but also because of my mom's health. And of course, my mom died in March of last year. Uh, Here's how Nancy responded. I sent you the decals, but in the meantime, I listened to the latest episode of Inappropriate Conversations where I learned about the death of your mother. I'm so sorry for your loss and the issues that you are dealing with. I have lost both of my parents, and even in a family that communicates very well, I can tell you that there are still unanswered questions. Some things you never think to ask until it's too late. I hope that you can find the comfort you need in your family and friends, internet and otherwise. I also hope that you know that what you share of yourself helps your listeners, even if they never let you know. It was actually your episode centered around Father's Day and Mother's Day way back in 2010. Yikes, I agree. Yikes. That first hooked me on your podcast. I find you thoughtful and measured in your approach, and I hope you'll continue. You and your family are in my thoughts, and I wish all the best for you. And I will be thinking about Nancy from time to time, no doubt, once I figure out exactly how I want to affix a sticker to my car. I got one of those cars with enough mileage that I, I'm just a little bit superstitious enough to think that if I put something that I want to be permanent on it, it might be the last thing that the 100,000 miles can sustain. So I've been wrestling with it for a while, but I am equipped and ready to go when the time comes. Nancy mentioned Simply Syndicated, and Simply Syndicated has been an important part of what I do from the very beginning. I've mentioned in Inappropriate Conversations 100, and also from the very first episode, that Inappropriate Conversations has been an inspiration and a source of support in terms of advice from the very beginning on which software to download and and how I might go about just even the process of recording and editing a podcast. And it remains a, a part of my friend group, a key support even to this day. Another key source of support for me is Pride 48 and that family of podcasts. And one of the pieces of feedback I got, this is much older, this goes back to June of 2016, was when Walk the Earth was looking at maybe three of the pillars, for want of a better word, of Islam. And without directly dealing with Islam as a religion, because my religious tradition is Christianity, I still nevertheless took time to talk about uh, prayer and fasting and pilgrimage. And Nicole, one of the hosts of Greetings from Nowhere, which I'm delighted to say is coming back and is a podcast you can seek out once it finally reappears on podcatchers like iTunes. This was Nicole's feedback a year and a half ago. Hi, Greg. I really enjoyed your podcast on fasting. When I was a kid, I fasted a few times a year according to requests from our church. It was usually breakfast and lunch and we broke the fast at dinner. These usually happened on school days, and I was always surprised to see my friends at school, the church had a grade school, eating lunch. I felt weird about it, but also kind of proud that I was fasting, that I was different. At dinner, I always ended up eating too much, too fast, because I was so hungry, and then ended up with a stomach ache. I have fasted as an adult, usually just one day each time. The longest fast I did was seven days, water and diluted fruit juice only. I was pretty much hungry the whole time, and I don't remember any revelations. I do remember feeling physically lighter a few times. For me as an adult, fasting is more of a discipline, another form of prayer, and usually lasted about 24 hours from dinner to dinner. I did the seven-day fast as a seeking of direction for the future, and it was the next year that I decided to leave Los Angeles and move back home. Home at this point was Wenatchee, Washington. So it may have impacted that decision, or not. Fasting is usually just a prayer when I've run out of ways to pray. I certainly don't see it as a spiritual requirement, and I understand your reticence. It ain't no fun. (laughs) I'll be curious to hear what you think if you decide to try it. And what I would say there, this is of course as a reference to that Walk the Earth series, is that I have yet to try it. Walk the Earth 38, released that same year, June 2016, was where I considered whether being slow to try fasting is a spiritual problem of mine. And I've come to the conclusion that it's not a spiritual problem, and yet I am still slow to do anything that could be considered a a serious exploration of fasting. Let me go back even one year further to call it June of 2015, because 
Unfortunately, the the long gap here between points and questions shows makes it hard for me to remember whether I've actually answered or uh, shared this piece of feedback before. I think that I haven't, so I'm going to do it here. I'm going to do it here largely without comment because I think that the words from Shane Thomas of the Greatest Events in Sporting History podcast that he shared with me about an Inappropriate Conversations episode called Speaking Truth to Power stands on its own and really speaks for itself. Uh, there are some occasions where it really is impossible to fully understand what the experience of others may be. None of us are purely empathic in that regard. Inappropriate Conversations number 167 was released June uh, 2015, and he got this particular piece of feedback. Shane says, I meant to email you a while back for your Speaking Truth to Power episode, where you mentioned how sometimes... You sometimes avoid talking about race because the reactions you can get can be exhausting. It's something I can totally relate to. Although it's important to note that it's a privilege to be able to go about your day without the issue of race hanging over your head. In the same way, we both have the privilege to avoid addressing the everyday sexism that exists in the world. I just read an excellent piece that he shared with me, and it was an excellent piece called I Racist. But um, Shane's exactly right. For someone like me to decide that there are times when I simply avoid the topic of race and racism because it is so pungent and, uh, frankly, exhausting. But perhaps if I was an African-American man living in London, I might not be able to avoid the topic quite so easily. And certainly if I was an African-American man living in the American South, I suspect it would be impossible to avoid the topic at all. I'm sure that I've thanked Shane in one way or another for that feedback, but I'm pretty sure I haven't shared it until now. So again, points and questions show long overdue, the oldest one of these going back to 2015. But let me veer my attention toward more recent feedback that I've received, because some of this feedback just in the last, call it a year, has really been helpful to me personally. It's actually expanded the way I listen to music, as a matter of fact. So let me go there next. The Last Ovation Podcast presents short stories on various celebrities where I tell you about their lives, careers, and tragic deaths. Past episodes have featured stars like Sal Mineo, Dorothy Dandridge, and Brad Renfro. Those and more can be found by visiting my website at thelastovation.com. You can find The Last Ovation at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and any other major podcast directory. Thank you for listening. I'm going to pick and choose my way through a couple of uh, email exchanges and feedback here. I want to focus particularly on the music, as a matter of fact, because one of the things that kept me from doing a traditional points and questions show all of 2017 was the fact that I spent a big chunk of the year looking at songs of protest, songs of resistance, an entire series. And uh, some of the feedback I got from that was in, indeed very encouraging. Uh, this is from Chris in Australia. I'm really enjoying your Songs Of series. While I consider myself to have relatively unique taste in music, being half a generation or maybe younger than you, and um, and not really liking what I'll call real country, let's say uh, Garth Brooks or Keith Urban style, nor have I really been a fan of the more metal and punk sounds, it's good to be exposed to these things because, A, I enjoy hearing the meaning and context behind these songs, and B, broadening my horizons. Plus, you have reminded me that Neil Young exists. A while back, I tried half-heartedly to get into his music, given he's pretty much listed as an influence on nearly all the artists that I have liked. As an aside, in my younger days, one of my favorite bands was Powderfinger, an Australian band, and only recently did I get the Neil Young reference, and then he had some recommendations about some albums. Have not been able to chase them down in the way that I want to consume music, but it's nice to have those recommendations, and I have taken at least one of their albums and put it in a wish list, put it in a favorites to remind me that at some point... When I'm ready, there's a couple of albums by an Australian band called Powderfinger that may be of interest to me. Where I really think that um, it jumped out at me, because he listed some of his favorite protest songs with a quick list. The Decemberists, Arcade Fire, The Mountain Goats, and Bell and Sebastian. And Bell and Sebastian is where I really wanted to provide some feedback to the feedback that I received. Here's Chris saying... As an aside, my favorite protest song of all time is If You Find Yourself Caught in Love by Bell and Sebastian. Although their music is generally twee chamber pop with, say, Smith-like themes about feeling awkward, etc., this one is an obvious protest song. I love how it starts off 
a sort of a sad love theme song, and then it turns on his head and goes out and out protest. And then the reason I wanted to mention it is, as an attachment, Chris left me something that was really very cool. His own personal track-by-track of Bell and Sebastian. So maybe the thing I should mention here is, well, where do I stand when it comes to track-by-track as a concept? And track-by-track goes back to an inappropriate conversations a couple of years ago. Episode 158 from January of 2015. Uh, I kind of referred to it as uh, track-by-track of my music nostalgia. There also is at the website at uh, www.inappropriateconversations.org a button called Track by Track where I shared a lot of my own personal experiences. I won't go into detail here. Let the blog post or that previous episode kind of speak for themselves. But the idea was basically to take all the albums, the studio albums typically, released by an artist with a lot of albums. Um, and an artist that I uh, admire and enjoy enough that I can actually do this exercise. And just go through and say, hey, what is my favorite first song across any of those albums? What is my favorite second song across any of those albums? And it doesn't necessarily make a best of recording, because sometimes what you end up finding is that uh, some of your favorite songs share the same position on the track list. Therefore, very difficult uh, choices have to be made, selections literally have to be made. But what you end up with is, in some ways, the best of each track sequence, and it creates an interesting playlist. And what Chris did for me was shared his thought process, actually, and a track-by-track list for Bell and Sebastian. Now, this is extremely helpful. From the very early days of the Simply Syndicated Forum, which is another place where Chris and I were ships passing in the night back in those early days, Bell and Sebastian was a group that seemingly everybody who was on the forum got they uh, they understood it. They had an opinion. Whether they were fans or not is a different animal, but everyone seemed fluent in the group. And to be honest with you, I wasn't. Now, part of that is being at least 10, 15 years older than most of the people, the average age of the forum, most likely. I was uh, in high school in the late 70s and early 80s, and they often say that the music you listen to in that era becomes the soundtrack of your life. So... Things like Bell and Sebastian came along after the soundtrack of my life was kind of put to bed. In fact, Chris mentions the Smiths. The Smiths might have come along right near the end of that soundtrack experience, where they might have been the last ones through the door with the American release called Louder Than Bombs, and particularly the song called Half a Person. So for the first time, I was able to dip my toe into the water of Bell and Sebastian because their catalog is somewhat large, and daunting, and varied, and you kind of need a tour guide if you're going to start into it this late. I literally used Chris's track-by-track list to selectively seek, whether from the record store or the library, or to buy, whether from Amazon, iTunes, or others, the songs that that he had shared as the songs that were on his playlist. And I now have a playlist on my phone called Track-by-Track, and the first entry there is literally Chris's list from Bell and Sebastian. So in this way, these interactions online are very fruitful, very helpful. I was going to live a happy, normal life if I never actually got quite to the bottom of Bell and Sebastian one way or the other. But it is very nice that I was able to do so, and able to do so through an interaction with somebody over the love of music. Looking at the comments folder that I share in the emails I receive at ic underscore greg at hotmail.com, I've... Probably going to stop here with the traditional feedback, but I want to share a couple of audio clips that I'll introduce. Uh, not necessarily people talking directly to me, but maybe talking about the shows on their podcasts. And I'll try to make a reference to those references kind of as I go to make sure that if I, if someone on a podcast is talking about inappropriate conversations, I can kind of put a timestamp on it of sorts. So I want to share a couple of audio clips and then I'm going to get to some non-traditional um, feedback, sort of uh, more of a Twitter, Facebook kind of interaction, and kind of pick up there. And then we'll get to the different drummer, which um, this time is going to be a different drummer that I'm not sure I ever would have found another spot for. Points and questions is a good way of doing that. In fact, I think it's interesting to me that maybe after the very first one of these I did, from two on, the points and questions there are people where uh, I don't necessarily think of of Terry Garr and Michael J. Fox and Marcello Mastriani 
Now, even Richard Matheson, although Richard Matheson might have been the closest to finding a niche in some other topic. And so that's kind of where we'll go with the different drummer. But first, on a musical note and talking about music, Chaotic Thoughts shared some thoughts on their podcast about the Wonders series. The first Wonders show that I did was in May of 2015. My effort to kind of shout out to the one-hit wonders, the people who occupy a place in my music collection and on my phone, who were only there one time. And there's there's a lot of them, but I, I made a, a choice of the ones I thought were fairly eclectic. And then a year later, May of 2016, I hit it again. This one with uh, songs that were typically, although not exclusively, the kind you might not be able to hear on the radio, the not safe for work version. And Chaotic Thoughts as a podcast, Mag's, in particular, had some thoughts about it. Hello, everybody. This is Mags, and this is Chaotic Thoughts. You're listening to uh, Benny Benassi, who I don't ask me who the hell he is. I honestly don't know. Uh, somehow, I ended up, I think this was went with the FBC, um, something, I don't know if it was this one or not. I think it was Satisfaction. This is uh, Benny Benassi versus uh, 20 Fingers, so it's what I call Short Dick Satisfaction. I don't know what the title is. Um, and I thought about this because um, of inappropriate conversations. He was talking about one-offs that were not safe for work, and Short Dick Man was one of them. And I thought about it. It's like, I would really love to play that. It's really good background music. Uh, October and November of 2015 was an interesting month for me. I did some sound collages to celebrate Halloween. It was kind of the first time for that. And I'm not 100% sure I won't return to that idea before we get to the end of this year or maybe next year. But the bookends for that particular period, beginning of October to the beginning of November, was uh, episode 173, October. I called it Seeing Spot Run. And rather than dealing with the topic of gun control, per se, I instead intentionally chose to deal with the topic of gun usage. It's a slightly different concept and an important distinction, in my opinion. I'm sad to say, based on the way I opened up this particular inappropriate conversations, that that show seems just as relevant today as it did when there was a college shooting in Oregon a couple of years ago. And then at the beginning of November... I hit an episode 177 I called Transitional Terminology. And that one was my trying to get my head around and explain where I stand on the concept of how should we address people who are trans, making that trans versus cis sort of distinction. And one of the ways I prepared for that was a podcast called The North and South of Things. Now, The North and South of Things had a monthly run for a period of more than a year, it has since uh, gone on hiatus, but I'm uh, hopeful and optimistic that it will return for Pride 48 live events. There will be a Pride 48 streaming event this year in June, as there has been every June for many, many years. And the North and South of Things has a tendency to revive itself, bringing George and Mark back into conversation for a show to celebrate that particular weekend. Of course, this year there's going to be a Pride 48 live event not in Las Vegas, but in New Orleans. So there's always a chance that George and Mark will be there in person, having a conversation under the heading of the North and South of Things at a live podcasting event. The last time there was a Pride 48, I was there with Walk the Earth. Walk the Earth 30 was recorded then. That was September, well, it was August of 2015. Podcast came out in September the podcast release of that live event came out September of 2015. This year, in 2018, it's going to be in New Orleans. That'll be at the Holiday Inn Superdome in New Orleans, not far from the French Quarter area. And that'll be August uh, 24th, 25th, and 26th. Um, call it a Thursday through Sunday. For a lot of people, that turns into a Wednesday night through Monday. And I'm in the process of making some determinations about my ability to travel. The same things that are going to pose challenges for me in the early part of the year, work in particular, could pose a challenge for me at the later part of the year, too. We shall see. Here's Mark and George, the north and south of things number 23, I believe from 2016. 
and we've heard from Greg from Inappropriate Conversations podcast. And I've listened to a few episodes of that. I need to listen to more of that. Greg is a really thoughtful uh, person and loves um, loves uh, ha- having an open dialogue about things. Uh, and and that you know that term thoughtful can be cliche. <laughs> used in a very mm-hmm. cliche way, but he, re- I think he is really, really thoughtful. He gives a lot of time and energy, uh, into topics and, um, a lot of topics and definitely worth a listen. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't heard from him, we recommend. Thank you to George from Georgia and Mark from Minnesota. Uh, that's excellent feedback and, and highly encouraging. Let me make a couple of references here to non-traditional feedback because there are some correspondences I've received that don't necessarily fit into the direct feedback of someone writing to uh, icgreg at hotmail.com and say, hey, let's talk about the show or this particular episode or something along those lines. I save something that I refer to as, as an example of just exactly how maybe sometimes the church gets things wrong. And I saved it with a screenshot out of Twitter because I felt like this was the kind of thing that maybe years from now, Someone will come along later and deny that they ever said or did or thought or believed. So I'm going to take us to a blog post, April 2016, where I reviewed a book about male and female friendship. It's out there at the Articles tab of Inappropriate Conversations. And even at the time I wrote the original review of this book, I was very careful to say, hey, there's some parts about what this author says and thinks which I think could be very dangerous and harmful to somebody who is part of the LGBTQ community and therefore perhaps potentially uh, a victim of attack by someone who might have somewhat toxic views of what the Bible says about homosexuality or Christianity in general. So I offered kind of those disclaimers because to me, talking about intersexual friendship becomes very tricky if you cannot have an articulated loving worldview about gay and lesbian people. And I've talked about that before on Inappropriate Conversations episodes like 44, uh, Sacred Friendship, I believe is what I called that, January or February of 2011. There's just something in the concepts of Carl Jung, which means that if you don't have a, if you don't have a good grip on what opposite sex means, then you're going to struggle understanding same-sex relationships versus friendships. And that's kind of where the author of this particular book that I've referenced in the past Got it a little bit sideways. First, let me restate my qualified support for the book Forbidden Friendships, Retaking Male-Female Friendship, which I reviewed in this blog in April 2016. It is a qualified recommendation, but nevertheless, it is a recommendation. And here's the problem, though, that if I let somebody that I cared about get sucked in by what is essentially a, a positive Uh, affirming view of the notion that sexual relationships aren't the trump factor driving all male-female interaction, in this case, male-female interaction, that nevertheless would be a problem if that person was then uh, attacked or accosted in some way by someone who had very different ideas about the LGBT community. In this place, I wanted to cite just a few things that were shared related to the trans community. This is a file that I probably saved out there in you know the middle of last year, summertime, because in Great Britain, the Church of England was having a conversation about what to do in terms of recognizing the uh, genuine intelligent design and the complexity behind things like gender and sexual orientation. As a matter of fact, uh, the reactions that this author provided, Joshua D. Jones, were to a news article saying all three houses of the Synod have voted in favor of the House of Bishops to consider liturgy marking gender transition and the adoption of a new identity. The person who shared this seemed to be celebrating, but the author, Jones, felt very differently. Here are some of the quotes from Jones. The Synod spent much time bemoaning the presence of conversion therapy. Times might have been better spent weeping the absence of conversions. So first off, uh, endorsing the torture of people to get them to conform to a gender binary um, there. Uh, Then a quote saying, um, no hat will I have to save that of a martyr reddened by my own blood, quoting someone who refused a bribe to become become a cardinal or quoting the Bible, uh, Isaiah 60, arise, shine for the light has come and Yahweh's glory has risen upon you. 
If anyone had been doubting the apostasy of the Church of England, Jones says, please doubt no longer. If you fear God, prayerfully consider leaving. So recommending that people leave the church over what? Over recognizing the reality that gender, in particular in this case, is more complex than humanity has acknowledged for the last 150 years or so, or at least Western Christian humanity, Western Christian male humanity in particular, has recognized in the last 150, 200 years. The Synod, in his opinion, has only shown darkness that's been in our hearts for some time. May God grant us repentance. Well, I'm sorry. If you're asking for repentance for a call to treat people with dignity and with respect, if you would prefer recommending things like conversion therapy, then I'm probably thankful that I'm not in any kind of regular communication, taking, receiving, and exchanging feedback with you. There is a process, I would say, of taking the good with the bad, so I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But all the same, this author has written a fine book if you ignore its appendix and a couple of asides along the way. But I wouldn't recommend his blog, and at this point, I question whether I'd recommend his ministry at all. That's Joshua D. Jones. Uh, Not going to be a different drummer anytime soon. Let's put it that way. And finally, from a feedback perspective... I just want to share a few things from a Facebook exchange I had. This is a Facebook exchange with a friend of the family, uh, one that goes all the way back to previous Facebook exchanges where I'd once written a blog at simplysyndicated.com on Simply Read when that crowdsourced blog was available. Um, something regarding marriage, the Bible Belt, and Jesus, leading from a conversation with this same woman, an old friend of the family. But the reason I want to share it was because In the midst of the exchange, she had some false notions. Those false notions got corrected, I believe, gently and with respect, by me. And at some point along the way, she decided that it was probably really important to delete the post. And I wanted to share that because the way I've managed so far, Facebook in general and Inappropriate Conversations page and Walk the Earth page in particular, is that I don't delete stuff. I mean, as simple as that. Uh, if, If there's a exchange of ideas that's taken place. I want to respect that. And one of the ways that I can respect that is to is to leave it up and leave it available, including situations where I've got something wrong, had a moment of clarity, and thank the person for, for providing that. I certainly don't feel like there's any reason to hide a place where I had insufficient information and through an exchange online got that information. So my thought is that at the end of this exchange, there's a confidence in a way that she expresses this friend of the family, Laura, that no conversation about race, patriotism, and nationalism could possibly remain civil. I mean, I'm locked down on my personal Facebook page to friends only. So this was never going to be hate or vitriol that was going to come from my Facebook friends to her. Uh, And I would have shut it down if somehow it had. This was essentially her at the end of this exchange telling me, that she's relatively sure if she leaves this post up that somebody from her side of the issue, or maybe a joint shared high school friend from back in the day, was going to come in and do something despicable. It really comes down to a group of Gold Star Mothers basically standing up and speaking up on behalf of Colin Kaepernick and other NFL players for choosing to kneel to raise issues and concerns In in this case, not just about where Kaepernick's worry was in terms of uh, police abuse of power and the gun deaths of unarmed citizens and things of that nature, but why it's kind of inappropriate for the President of the United States to weigh in using terms like SOB to refer to people and sort of bullying because what I said was that I wasn't at all confused by Gold Star Mothers on Gold Star Mothers Day speaking up about the president wrapping himself around the flag being inappropriate. Here's what I said, and literally offering words like, let me help you understand this. I wish the president had shined a positive focus on people he has previously publicly attacked. Gold Star Mothers, in this case. Rather than using offensive language in a campaign stump speech to attack citizens raising legitimate concerns about life and death issues in our country. Surely we can agree on that. You attack me or my coworkers, and I promise you that I will stand up to you in solidarity with people I care about. Whether that proverbial stand up 
would be the locking of arms or the taking of a knee. Oh, and more than three million citizens of a U.S. territory are without power in the wake of a severe storm that damaged and wiped away many of their homes completely while they wait for seemingly imminent dam to fail and cause further catastrophic flood damage. So if we have to disagree on this one, please grant me that the political leaders at the highest levels of our country have distracted themselves to obsession over things that are far less important, and I wonder why. Her answer back was that she had never seen the president attack Gold Star Mothers, which I think is very strange because... She probably did watch the Republican National Convention where the attack I was referring to actually or occurred after, in the aftermath of that. Um, I have heard him, Laura says, praise the military. If the NFL wants to pay their players to make political statements, then they must be prepared for the backlash. I think we can agree on that. Make a political statement during your job performance and you face the consequences. If that statement offends or insults your coworkers, customers, and security, then the consequences may be harsh. The players absolutely have the right to their opinions. Free speech in America is alive and well, in my humble opinion. Their form of protest is disrespectful and offensive. I feel it is a pathetic attack on the nation I love. But we can disagree because this is America, and we're adults. Sadly, I think today was about Trump can't tell me what to do. I didn't hear a word about why the players were protesting other than that. So I answered. One. Trump directly verbally attacked a Gold Star mother last summer, late July, early August, mocking her for letting her husband speak about their dead son rather than speaking for herself. 2. Anyone who doesn't know what the original protest about is about for the NFL players is not paying attention. 3. Yes, the players today were standing up for other players because the President of the United States decided to directly and verbally attack an unemployed football player while in an unprecedented move campaign, campaigning for one particular GOP candidate in a primary election cycle in Alabama. And four, while saying nothing or continuing to say nothing about critical issues where his voice, if only to call for thoughts and prayers, could have a, can make a dramatic difference in the lives of people from Puerto Rico, Flint, Michigan, things so much, so much more worth tweeting about. I believe the SOB in Trump's mind would like the country to have far more constructive conversation about issues like race than we are having today. Shut up, USOB is not an example of constructive conversation. Simple as that. So, there was an exchange about things he had said about Puerto Rico, a little bit of back and forth, but I did kind of have to explain to somebody who joined in on the conversation that I live in the state of Ohio, and... I don't think two or three years ago is that long. The, the conversation was, well, if these people are still protesting about slavery, that was so long ago. Well, that is a disputable concept. My argument about that all along has been that if in 1963, even 64, 65, during my lifetime, we've had to reaffirm what was said in the Reconstruction Amendments, call it a 100 years earlier than that, then clearly something went wrong with this notion of freedom to former slaves between the 1860s and the 1960s. And of course, for four centuries plus before that, the experience in North America of African-American people was strictly slavery. So if you add up all the years and stack those as chips on a poker table, there's a lot more chips on the years of oppression than there are in the years since. But I made it really clear I wasn't talking about slavery. I wasn't talking about the distant past. I live in Ohio. And I don't consider the past two or three years to be that long ago. I'm concerned about shoot first and ask questions later situations that have popped up far too often here. I have theories about why that have nothing to do with race, and some that do. It's a conversation we aren't having as a nation that we need to be having as a nation. Can we get past the defensiveness to discuss a man shot by police in a Walmart while shopping for an air rifle as a gift to a nephew? Would we be questioning how open carry laws don't seem to provide protection to children playing with a BB gun if someone didn't you know, get up, upset the apple cart by daring to protest such things? Clearly not. The response I get back was, again, latching onto this hating the president idea and forgetting that the original protests had literally nothing to do with the president of the United States until he insinuated himself into the debate. Laura said this, Clearly, I am unable to hate Trump and find enough evil in all that he does and disregard any humanitarian efforts, such as his trips to Houston after Harvey. I don't agree with everything he does, but I'm not on the Trump as a Nazi 
and causing Armageddon bandwagon. I don't even think this was about Trump until this weekend. At the heart of it, it's a method of protesting that's highly volatile, a divisive choice. The longer it continues, the more divided players and fans become. I don't see it helping the cause. What I see is that people are so offended by the actions that they don't care about the cause. I don't see how it helps team unity either. Listen, I answered. I don't hate Trump or anyone else to my knowledge. I hope that this was not your insinuation. Since we are still not having a conversation about the issues being raised here, please tell me what effective method you would prefer. Yes, we are now dealing with the distraction rather than the issues, but we are talking. You and I have never discussed any of this before. Perhaps that's a problem. We've talked about other things online, not this. And this is literally a matter of life and death. So do tell. What's the right way to force a discussion on important, difficult, and divisive issues? This is the way Muhammad Ali did it. It's the way Jackie Robinson did it. And it doesn't look that different from what Martin Luther King did. But I'm no expert on protests. Then she chimed in, admitting that she had total ignorance about Jackie Robinson's presence and participation at every at every game, and, and made that statement because she challenged me to say that I was kind of full of crap about Jackie Robinson. So I went out and shared Jackie Robinson protesting in a not dissimilar way, including a link that kind of established through Snopes and other sources that that the Jackie Robinson and Anthem protest that, that he at one time did were absolutely true. And at least when you're dealing with people who are rational and, te- and intelligent, something does sometimes happen when you point to them facts that simply cannot be disputed. And I told her, I said, I think you may be surprised by all the things that Kaepernick is doing beyond what could be described as following, just following Jackie Robinson's lead. Uh, she offered me a list of things that they should be doing instead. Things like uh, asking for a public meeting or setting up an at-risk youth center, or funding certain causes, or using their celebrity to make the problem visible, to, to drive for change. I basically said, you're not paying much attention if you don't know that Kaepernick ticks off your list reasonably well, including putting a lot of money where his mouth is. And here's where things got interesting for me, because Laura ended our exchange with a couple of thoughts. The post about Jackie Robinson was interesting and heartbreaking, I'm thankful for the strides we have made since then. And, you know, mentioned some things in her personal experience in terms of um, living in a situation where her marital choices might have been questioned. I mean, and I think I understand this as well as anybody. My parents' marriage choices when um, before I was born was a Protestant and a Catholic getting married. And you had some of those you had some of those same problems. But she ends up this way saying, I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist. Just that this is not the same racial climate Robinson experienced. Our discussion has remained free of name-calling. I've watched similar posts degenerate. For that reason, I'm going to delete my post after an hour. People who are interested will have the chance to read it, but it won't remain as bait for those who might not remain civil. So here we are. I'm having to share this information as feedback this way because a public conversation has been deleted. And in my opinion deleted by someone who was convinced that if the post remained up, then it wouldn't remain civil. It wouldn't, it would turn nasty. And again, there's absolutely no reason to believe that it would turn nasty because of anybody in my friend's circle chiming into the conversation. And on the off chance that I'm wrong, there is no chance that that would not have been addressed as quickly as possible by me. No, I think what we're hearing is her acknowledgement that within her own personal friend's circle, There's just really no way that a post like this, with our dialogue, could remain in place publicly, or at least with her friend circle, or her friends of friends circle, without me being attacked for what it is I had to say. I'll let you decide whether the feedback that I offered to Laura merited any sort of personal attack. And what do we do, is a question I think I've got, with her conviction, her perhaps very honest, sincere, concerned about my personal happiness and well-being conviction that an attack coming my way was inevitable.
My different drummer this week is Maria McKee, and it occurs to me that McKee is a tie-out to one other of the Wonders shows. I mentioned those two Wonders episodes in back-to-back years released in uh, the month of May. Wonders 3, which is the last of the Wonders episodes I've done, came out in January of last year, and it included a song by Carrie Ann Hurst called Are You Ready to Die? And Carrie Ann Hurst is one of the members of the group Shovels and Rope, and Shovels and Rope is a band that has caught my interest lately. In fact, Hurst's solo album has gone from being an entry in a Wonders collection from a promotional single I got to an album that I bought its entirety because of that single. But what dawned on me as I was preparing for this particular Inappropriate Conversations recording, and a different drummer nod toward Maria McKee, is it didn't really occur to me until just now that Maria McKee perhaps is a predecessor, a predictor of the future of groups like Shovels and Rope. I see a through line that I didn't notice right away between Lone Justice and Shovels and Rope. And maybe the best way to explain that through line is to hit the Wikipedia entry and a biographical introduction to Maria McKee. Maria Louisa McKee is an American singer-songwriter. She is best known for her work with Lone Justice, her 1990 UK solo chart-tapping hit Show Me Heaven, and her song If Love is a Red Dress, Hang Me in Rags from the film Pulp Fiction. McKee is the founding member of the cowpunk and proto-Americana band Lone Justice in 1982, with whom she released two albums several compilations of both previously released and unreleased material, and a BBC Live concert album have been released since the group disbanded. So, Maria McKee's start with Lone Justice. During that same time, she wrote a song for Fergal Sharkey called A Good Heart, which she has since re-recorded both on one of her studio albums and one of her live albums. Her song Show Me Heaven appeared in the soundtrack to the film Days of Thunder and was a number one single in England, for four weeks in 1990, I will say that from my perspective, um, it's the best part about that movie. Back to Wikipedia, she rarely performs this song in public, but up until recently, when she sang it at Dublin Pride. I did see that performance at the most recent Dublin Pride event, and it's worth seeking out on YouTube. Among other things that she has achieved is being the only new song commissioned by Quentin Tarantino for the soundtrack to the movie Pulp Fiction. Like a typical different drummer, she is here for more than one reason, both as a performer and as a singer-songwriter, and as a contributor to other people in terms of writing songs that other people performed. A Good Heart These Days is Hard to Find from Sharky is one example. Letting the Dixie Chicks uh, do their version of Am I the Only One Who's Ever Felt This Way from the first Dixie Chicks album, and one of the better remakes I've ever heard of a song written by McKee. She's contributed movie soundtracks like Streets of Fire with the song uh, Never Be You. And she's also done uh, had recent acting credits, appearing in a couple of films directed by her husband, Jim Aiken. And also as a published author. In 2009, McKee's short story, Charcoal, was included in the Melville House Publishing short fiction anthology called Amplified Fiction from Leading Alt-Country, Indie Rock, Blues, and Folk Musicians. So ticking a lot of the boxes in terms of not being, quote-unquote, just a musician, and certainly not just a singer. When I look at the discography for McKee, you've got those albums with Lone Justice released in 1985, 1986, and beyond. Her own solo work, uh, self-titled Maria McKee album 1989, was the first time that I saw her and picked up that first album not long after it came out. But to me, the high watermark is surely 1993, and you got a sin to get saved. I've talked about this before. I think on an episode also released May of 2015 called Memorial Music, sharing songs that I think meant the most to me, especially ones that functioned both in a spiritual and non-spiritual way at the same time. Maria McKee has the greatest remake, or the greatest song interpretation that I have ever heard, from You've Got a Sin to Get Saved, that second album of hers. Uh, the remake is um, I Can't Make It Alone, beginning song on side two of the album or cassette version of that release. An original brill-building pop song written by Carole King and recorded by several artists in the 60s, um, including probably most famously by one of the Righteous Brothers, I would guess, but also having been done in an electrified rock version by Vanilla Fudge. I talked about all, all of this when introducing that song as being critically important to me in the episode called Memorial Music. 
but it is still true and still now more than two years later holds up as my favorite uh, remake or my favorite song interpretation of all time. It's one of the things that McKee does very well in terms of mixing her own songwriting in with songwriting of other people. My MP3 player, as of right now, has 63 songs of McKee's solo work. There's a little repetition in there because of live albums. Another 24 songs that come in because of Lone Justice. Given the opportunity, there's a couple of rare Lone Justice albums I wouldn't mind having because those relative rare releases include some song interpretations, some more examples of McKee working in other people's form. I have not seen a couple of movies that she's appeared in. The reason she's got IMDb credits. Film work includes uh, the feature film After the Triumph of Your Birth, uh, and more recently, The Ocean of Helena Lee. These are movies that I probably would not have encountered with having to go and seek them out, perhaps looking for for films in an art house, albeit English language films, in an art house cinema kind of a direction. So I really can't speak to her work from that perspective. But to be honest with you, I think I would take Maria McKee just for her voice. In fact, just for her voice, singing the music of Carole King would work for me. My favorite Carole King interpretation of all time is not You've Got a Friend by James Taylor, or other perhaps more popular um, songs from Tapestry. I go all the way back to I Can't Make It Alone. McKee is beautiful in ways that probably could be limited just to her voice by itself. Tremendous range. The ability to function seamlessly in both a country and um, hard rock style even. Uh, Coming through the music business at the time that bands like X were mixing folk and punk and functioning very well in both folk and punk styles at the same time. I don't think of McKee as a performer that I feel like I would love to see live and almost need to see live one day because of her appearance or anything more than well and truly the music. And maybe the best way to pull this different drummer segment back full circle is to go to my track-by-track page at inappropriateconversations.org and share the track-by-track list I created for McKee as a solo artist without Lone Justice. And just quickly list off the 14 songs that kind of made the cut, looking at every one of her CDs, many of which, in fact, most of which, I own. Track 1. I've forgotten what it was in you that put the need in me. Track two, to miss someone. Track three, am I the only one who's ever felt this way? For people who are familiar with her work, I've just named the first three songs from her first solo album, which gives you a sense of the kind of impact that initial album made on me. Track four, only once. Track five, panic beach. Track six, I can't make it alone. Track seven, more love than a heart can hold. Track 8, Show Me Heaven. Track 9, Why Wasn't I More Grateful When Life Was Sweet. Track 10, A Good Heart. Track 11, Drinking in My Sunday Dress. Track 12, Starving Pretty. Track 13, Has He Got a Friend. And track 14, A Live Interpretation of Backstreets, the Bruce Springsteen song. Maria McKee, a different drummer. Not just for being a singer-songwriter, but also for an interpreter of song, as well as an actress and an author. If you'd like to put some dialogue into this conversation yourself... I can be reached at IC underscore Greg at Hotmail.com. That's where most of the feedback that I've discussed in this Points and Questions show came from. But I also have a fairly active participation on both Twitter and Facebook. At Twitter, I'm at IC underscore Greg. Facebook has a separate page, both for Inappropriate Conversations and for Walk the Earth. On SoundCloud, I still intend to continue the process of posting audio clips, hints of what each one of these older shows is about. I've moved my way all the way into the point where I'm covering both Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations, meaning that my process of moving forward is well into the year 2013 and beyond by now. Inappropriate Conversations is a podcast, and Walk the Earth share a feed at inappropriateconversations.org, and the shows can be found on any of your podcatchers including iTunes, 
and Stitcher Smart Radio. Thanks for listening. show is a proud member of the pride 48 podcasting network check out other great podcasts at pride 48.com slash shows